Chapter 11 Clive, Iowa had not become a lovely place, much like Ken had assumed. Instead, his hometown had given way to a sprawl of department stores, bad chain restaurants, and modern apartment buildings. The whole town looked stupid, a toothless kind of stupid. The wind seemed to mutter from all directions, and the roads stood with honking traffic and wobbling pedestrians. Not since leaving L.A. had Ken sat at a red light this long. He'd spent his twenties on back roads and campgrounds to avoid this very thing, humanity. Red, impatient faces glared at him from inside the other cars. It was a Saturday. He couldn't reason why there would be this much traffic, unless everyone had the same notion to leave town and had been waiting at this stoplight since Friday afternoon. He rolled down his window to let in some air. So far, he'd only made it to the bank to sign the papers of his inheritance. There, he'd gotten the keys to the house, a few personal belongings, and the license to a Pizza Hut franchise his folks had recently purchased. Now he was on his way there to check in with management and introduce himself to the employees. A zen-like responsibility had settled over him since meeting his parents' lawyers. It was most likely the combination of pot and fried chicken sandwiches. These two things often sobered him in the daylight. He reached over and turned down his stereo and picked up the papers he'd gotten at the bank, looking them over blindly and tossing them aside with a sigh. He could see the sign for the Pizza Hut standing in the distance some two miles up the road. The clouds were pink and transparent, hanging like hole-worn sheets. When at last he pulled into the parking lot, Ken looked around at the barren gravel and empty fields of grass surrounding him on all sides. The main road had taken him out of town before dumping him here on what appeared to be its literal edge. Beyond this red, hat-shaped building grew an expanse of trees marked only by the thin hairs of power line cables pencil drawn out to infinity. It was a big view of nothing. It was beautiful. He stood by his car, letting the summer wind move through his arms. It all felt familiar, yet smaller. He remembered being here as a child, then remembered briefly working here as a teenager. The building looked the same. One broken window was even still repaired with tape and cardboard a shoddy job Ken remembered himself doing almost ten years ago. He walked over to the crack in the glass and knelt, inspecting it and letting the last drag of smoke tumble out his nose. He ran his fingertips along the window ledge and closed his eyes, listening to the dumb cry of clouds, remembering it perfectly, the dreams he'd had back then, his desire to leave, to run, now, all these years later, all those cities and campfires gone by, he'd returned to find the place still held together by his own half-hearted efforts. Below the wrinkled tape and peeled-away cardboard was a small, faded piece of graffiti soaked deep into the crumbling brick. 
It was the crude shape of a heart, and inside it, the letters K and B were written in cursive. The memory formed a whole. Becky's small hand writing this in permanent marker crouched beneath him on the sidewalk as he taped the window back together, both of them in black uniforms and dumb visors, laughing like children as the wind sang its song. She was 14 back then, and he was nearly 18, a few months from graduating. There in the memory, she looked up at him and smiled, dropping the lids of her eyes and gazing longingly at his mouth. Ken felt the cold tape against his hand and opened his eyes, coming out of the memory and finding himself alone on his knees in an empty Pizza Hut parking lot. Three young boys in uniform were watching him from back by the dumpsters. One was smoking a cigarette and eyeing him strangely while the other two leaned against a fence. They were too young to remember him. He was thankful for that. He climbed to his feet and pulled open the door and stepped inside. The smell of flour coated his face and immediately a thirst for wine rushed over his lips. Dine-in or carry-out? Courtney asked, popping up from behind a cash register. Ken looked around. All the tables were empty. The squeaking churn of a silent jukebox filled the room like crickets. Courtney's voice was bothersome and rather irritating. Ken scratched his head. In his younger days, Ken had been handsome, but time had melted him to a mediocre size and taken the color from his hair, leaving him prematurely gray and slightly bald, though his ponytail did its best to mask this. His eyes still carried the sparkle of a dreamer, but they were puffy and tired and farther apart now. He hadn't shaved in months. A patchy beard lined his neck like moss. The hems of his baggy jeans matched this with scraggly hanging hairs and bits of dirt and leaves. His boots were broken and formless, and his giant sweater floated with dust and dandruff. He looked homeless. The place hasn't changed, Ken mumbled aloud to himself. Courtney watched him, a little frightened by his smell. Highway wanderers and hitchhikers were known to make this place their first stop in town, usually just to use the bathroom and steal napkins. The men's room is over there, she said, pointing to the back wall. You don't need a key. Just go ahead. Ken took the opportunity to disappear and walked back toward the restrooms without another word, nodding to Courtney with an odd, stoned grin as he swung open the door marked Gents and stepped inside. Becky had been holding back tears since Courtney's assessment of her life. She'd sat at her desk all afternoon, thinking about all the boys she'd encountered over the years and what little effort they'd put in before sleeping with her. She realized she was just like the chips in her bed, lying there, waiting to be emptied and discarded. It was a hurtful feeling, something she wasn't used to thinking about. It kept her from drinking her beer or even getting up from her seat. She'd been in her little corner all day long with her head down, staring at her hands and thinking about how she tried to use them to impress Rando. 
how she'd use them the same way on Chris and Andy. There were potato chip crumbs under her fingernails. She could taste them as she wiped her mouth, quietly sobbing. After the rough start to the day, Mike had decided to just work outside, repairing the fence, or at least pretending to repair the fence. Becky hadn't seen him in hours. She missed him. Courtney had come back around a few times to check on her, but Becky knew it was mainly to steal the pizza off of her desk. There'd been only one customer all afternoon. A long, silver-haired man sitting by himself in a booth with his back to the kitchen, reading over some papers and drinking an iced tea. He hadn't ordered food. Becky looked up past the dish line and out into the dining room. There was a bald spot on the back of the man's head, and the hair around it was filthy and faint as a ghost. He sat slouched, reading the pages in his hands as if they were taped to his fingers, looking over them dismissively. All the ice in his tea had melted, and it glowed in the sunlight like a glass of mud. Then, strangely, as if the man could sense Becky watching him, he set down his papers and turned in his seat, looking over his shoulder. Their eyes met for only a second, just an awkward, short glance. The man nodded to her, but then turned back around and looked out the window of his booth. He'd been handsomer than she'd imagined while staring at the back of his head. He'd been younger than she thought, too, not much older than her. There was something in his eyes that struck her as familiar and pleasant. Now the man's profile was lit by the white sun glowing through the window. Becky sat up in her chair and studied the side of his face, the curve of his nose, and the angle of his chin. She knew him, but couldn't remember from where. Perhaps a concert, perhaps a bar. He wasn't dressed like the other boys in town. He was too earthy and unraveled. Then he looked over his shoulder at her a second time, and this time he smiled. His upper lip hung crooked over beautiful white teeth, the sneer of a Hollywood cowpoke returning home, bags in hand, sunset at his back. It was Ken. Ken, after all this time. He'd never cut his hair just like he'd promised, and he'd taken on the life of a traveler, much like he'd dreamed of all those years back. It was apparent by his clothes and beard that no place had claimed him, broken him, held him down. Ken and Becky sat there across the building from each other, putting one another back together from memory. He was motionless and staring straight into her, his blue-green eyes coated in daylight through a dirty window. He held his smile, but seemed deep in thought, like he was thinking the same thing. Becky. Becky, after all this time. Suddenly, Courtney walked into the dish line between them, and their eye contact broke. Ken looked away and back out his window, shaking his head at himself and smirking like he'd only been imagining things. His eyes went distant, then farther and farther away, until they felt gone forever. Becky sat at her desk, looking past Courtney's ass, trying to hold him in. But he turned his back and once again rustled his papers. Who's the customer? Becky asked, pointing out into the dining room. 
Courtney sprayed a few dishes and looked toward his booth with a shrug. Some hippie guy who says he owns the place, she said. He was nice enough, just wanted tea. He said he just got the place from his dead parents, said he used to work here a long time ago. I thought it all sounded kind of made up, so I wandered away. Why? You know him? Becky got up from her desk and walked through the dish line and leaned on the front counter, holding a hand over her mouth to hide her face. Oh no, she whispered, pulling at her shirt. Oh fuck, it is him. Why the fuck did I have to wear sweatpants today? She started pulling at herself uncomfortably, adjusting her bra and hat, and then just pulling off her hat, throwing it into the sink. She ran her fingers through her dry hair and fluffed it out as best she could and tried tucking in her polo. It wouldn't stay, so she hiked up her pants to just below her breasts, sucking in her gut and throwing back her shoulders. Then she tossed her bangs to one side. Courtney watched with pity as Becky stepped and backstepped in and out from behind the counter, as if the man were a spider she had to kill or a mousetrap she needed to empty, her hands curling uncomfortably at her sides. Courtney stepped over and gave Becky a hard shove for no better reason than to see what would happen. Becky flailed out into the dining room on one foot and toppled past the buffet, crashing into Ken's booth head first, spilling the glass of tea into his lap and knocking the papers out of his hand. She landed face down in his crotch and her waistline drawstring snapped, dropping her pants around her knees. Ken shouted, grabbing at her pants and trying to pull them up for her while she clung to his collar with both hands, ripping his sweater down the middle. She'd left the house that morning without underwear. Now that seemed a grave oversight. Her white bottom ballooned out from under the table like one of those playful, butt-headed dolphins. Ken managed to pull her pants up and grabbed her by the wrists, pushing her off of him and onto the dining room carpet. Becky flopped on her side and lay still, hoping the whole thing was a dream. She clenched her eyes shut. Hi, Becky, Ken said pleasantly. I thought that was you. Hi. How are you? She lay there a moment longer, hoping she would burst into flames or that the world would just suddenly end. But then Ken spoke again, his voice unchanged. Becky? he asked with a laugh. It was Becky, right? What a mean question. What an awful way to paraphrase their time apart, almost guessing her name and making her feel even more forgettable than the day already had. Becky didn't answer him. Instead, she sat up and slid onto her hip, adjusting her bangs and picking some of his papers up off the floor, handing them to him. Yeah, she said, clearing her throat. I'm Becky. I'm the manager. He took the pages from her and smirked, studying her eyes. You don't remember me? Ken asked, pointing at his own face. She remembered. Not a day since first meeting him had his strong, lovely face left her fantasies for even a moment. He looked exactly the same except for his thinning gray hair and dirty beard. Beneath all the mange 
glowed the radiant skin and twinkling smile of Ken Morrison, her first boyfriend, the only boy who'd ever made her feel loved, made her feel beautiful, the only boy who'd ever broken her heart by disappearing entirely from her life like a childhood dream. She remembered. She remembered their first time, their last time, and all those many times in between on the warm summer nights before her sophomore year when they'd met and touched and kissed uncontrollably. She remembered him crying as he climbed on a bus headed west, handing her a poem he'd written about their love and its unfortunate timing. A poem she still had tucked in a drawer and often pulled out to read when she was really drunk and lonely. A bad poem, but an honest poem, the words of a kid who had yet to know much about life. She remembered, right down to the thin scar along his cheek he'd gotten after biking on a gravel road and crashing into a fence post. She remembered everything about him. No, Becky said, shaking her head and looking at the floor. No, I'm sorry. I don't remember you. Her voice sounded as if she didn't want him to continue. So he didn't. A small frown curled down Ken's lips, and he blushed with embarrassment and looked back out the window. Oh, he said. Well, I'm Ken. I remember you, but whatever. Now they were caught in some game of pretending, where both their guards were up like boxing gloves. He couldn't even look at her. She just kept staring at the floor. It was horrible. Anyway, he continued, climbing out of the booth and extending his hand to help her to her feet. I'm back in town for a while, to sort some stuff out. I guess I own this place now, whatever that means. I gotta say, it's been a while. I'm really surprised to see you. I can't believe you're still around. Becky glared at him, not sure if this was the underhanded insult it sounded like. Ken's one downfall had always been the way he spoke too soon, like the rich boy his parents raised him to be, quick to judge, quick to speak his mind. She suddenly hated him, as if her love for him had been hate all along. Yeah, she said, scowling. I'm still around. Where the fuck have you been? So you do remember me, Ken said, smiling his pretty annoying smile. Becky just stared at him. I've been on the road with fish, Ken said with a toss of his head. Did some time with widespread panic, too. I was just over in Colorado when I got the news about my folks. I had to leave camp and drive back. It was a long ride, but I made it. Becky looked at him, irritated by the casualness of his tone and his vague overview of nearly an entire decade of traveling the country. That's it, she asked. You've been gone this long and your parents were just eaten by sharks and that's all you have to say. Ken pulled a glass pipe out of his pocket and lit it, sucking in several drags and huffing them out. His eyes glazed over, and he turned and looked out the window. Orcas, he said in a cloud of smoke. They were orca whales, not sharks. Anyway, yeah, I'm not much for words, 
I've spent a lot of time alone. Becky twisted her fingers in her hands and bit her cheek. I know the feeling, she said. A crumble of gravel sounded as a car rolled to a stop just outside the booth window. Ken watched a young kid get out of the car and slam his door. The boy reminded Ken of himself at that age, right down to the wrinkles in his uniform and the way he awkwardly smoked his cigarette. Peter looked back at Ken through the window. It was a cold stare, as if he were looking at a prophesized reflection. He dropped the butt of his cigarette and looked past Ken to where Becky sat uncomfortably on the carpet. Ken felt like he was in some dream of his past where others played the roles and he could only watch. But Becky was older now. Nothing else had changed. Peter looked away from the window and out to the fields beyond the road. Then he walked out of Ken's line of sight and disappeared around the building. That kid kind of looks like me, Ken said, nodding out the window at Peter's car. No, he doesn't, Becky grunted, standing up and walking away. She walked over to the buffet line salad bar and picked up a heaping spoon of cottage cheese and flung it at Courtney. Courtney ducked just in time and it missed and hit the wall by the cash register. Courtney screamed and shielded her face as Becky came at her with the empty plastic ladle, wielding it like a hammer and bashing her on the head with it. Stupid fucking bitch, Becky shouted, shoving her down and punching her a few times. That's for calling me names. Becky dropped the spoon and picked up a stack of boxes, lifting them over her head and throwing them in a pile onto Courtney while kicking her. And that's for shoving me, Becky cried. You're fucking fired. Get the fuck out. Courtney lay in a heap on the ground. There was cottage cheese in her hair. Becky dropped another box on her and walked back to her desk and sat down in a huff. Ken got up from his booth and walked over to Courtney, helping her to her feet and offering her a napkin. Becky watched this, hating the tender way Ken held her by the arm and smiled. Courtney feigned exaggerations of pain, letting Ken go as far as to actually wrap an arm around her and walk her out the front door as she limped at his side and whimpered. After a minute, the front door dinged open and Ken returned alone. He'd sent Courtney on her way, asking Peter to give her a ride home and confirming that she was in fact fired. Ken told all of this to Becky from across the kitchen, where he now leaned on the front counter, leafing through a menu and picking at his hair. Becky sat at her desk, her arms crossed, and her hat pulled down over her eyes. So you sent her away, Becky asked. Yeah, I told her she was fired, Ken said, not looking up. You kind of went apeshit on her, though. I figured it was best to just stay out of it and send her home. Ken's voice had a prosthetic volume as he spoke with his chin propped in the palm of his hand. His words had no importance to him. It was obvious. He was just muttering to move the conversation along. Becky watched him turn the pages of the menu, flipping through them and scanning the photos blindly. She said some really mean things to me, Becky said, picking at her hands. Like what? Ken asked. The hum of the kitchen lights filled in the silence as Becky sat at her desk and decided not to respond. 
She held in the things she wanted to say until they dissolved in her stomach like poison. Ken made no attempt to pry, closing the menu and walking back to his booth. Becky had to pee. She got up and walked through the dining room to the bathroom, slamming the door behind her. She pulled down her pants, sat down on the toilet, and put her face in her hands.